0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome in to another edition of the Skinny Podcast, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Peroring. it's It's our potpourri edition of the podcast. We'll see if we get the ghost stories or not. Rick always sets this up, so I always get surprised by the end, but Rick, take it away. Skinny Green Bay hired Tennessee offensive coordinator Matt
0: LaFleur to be their head coach. The Arizona Cardinals brought in Cliff Kingsbury, and the Tampa Bay Bucks hired Bruce Arians. Reports Wednesday also have Cleveland tabbing their offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens and Denver going for Chicago defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. Everyone the Bengals interviewed is still on the board at this point. Is it a good sign in your opinion that the Bengals guys are still on the board, or do you think it's concerning that none of the coaches that they're interested in got named a head coach elsewhere already. I,
1: I think I think there's there's twofold to that. I think it is a good sign, I guess, in the one hand because it's the guys you identified and you still have your choice of those guys. You're not taking your fifth or sixth choice, all right? That's the good thing. I do think Eric bien is interesting and might have been in play if he wasn't still coaching for some of these other teams. Uh, you know, some of these other teams went very quickly to hire guys. I mean, it was almost like as soon as Fangio was out, he's hired. As soon as LaFleur and Tennessee were out, he gets hired. Um... You know, I would have liked for the Bengals to have had maybe Fangio on the radar, but I still don't know what kind of head coach he's going to be. I mean, but he was a hot name at least. Biami's interesting because you know he has he's a he's a candidate. He was at least a candidate to some degree for other places. Again, um, because he's coaching, it become it became you had to interview him last week when they when they had their bye week. Um, but I still don't know what kind of head coach he's going to be because, I mean, he's had the responsibility of offensive coordinator, but he's not been a play caller. Um, he, you know, that, that's Andy Reid's job. So And I don't need this head coach to be a play caller, but I'd like, I'd like that responsibility to have been had by that guy to some degree. Um, so I do think that while we wait, he seems to be, to me, the leader in the clubhouse because I think if you were going to hire Hugh Jackson or Vance Joseph, Instead of being me, I really think you'd have done it by now. I think you'd have gone through this because they haven't interviewed anybody else since last week. It's almost like it seems like like they've finished the process. Right? Correct. Um, Maybe there's a guy. Maybe um, there's somebody they want to look at. That that's that's coaching this weekend, but I I would say probably not because I think Josh McDaniels was that guy and he turned him down for an interview and then shut the door to everything. So he's going to stay. I don't think there is anybody else. I mean, the, they did the Rams guys. There's nobody from the from the Saints that it sounded like they wanted an interview. So I think they are done with the process, and that's why I had somebody asked me this: Who do you think the leader in the clubhouse is? I said said enemy because. Like I said, I think if you were going to hire Hugh Jackson or Vance Joseph, you'd have done it by now. That doesn't mean that you don't come back and do that if Bienemy either says thanks but no thanks or there still is one other job open at this stage. That's the Miami job. Um, if he decides to go to Miami instead, uh, I, I, you know, if, if you're a Bengals fan and you don't know enough about Eric Bienemy and you're not so sure that that's a great hire, I get it. And if your fear is that Eric Bienemy maybe waits and then takes the Dolphins job and that's what the Dolphins are waiting on to, and it comes back to Hugh Jackson and Vance Joseph, I think that's what it comes back to. I think that's. I think it's one of those three guys.
0: Really? So you think it's Bienemy or Hugh Joseph or, or Hugh? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's um, unfortunate, I think, for, for Bengals yeah, Zach, fans. Yeah, Zach
1: Taylor's not ready for this, and I have not heard very many good things of Zach Taylor's time at UC that makes me think he'd be a coach. I mean, I don't think you're going to take the passing game coordinator – of the Rams just because he's on the Rams staff, Shane Walder, I don't think you're going to do that. Todd Monkin, the offensive coordinator from Tampa, was at least an interesting name, but he's got very limited. He was a head coach at Southern Miss, which, again, I'm not besmirching that, but he hasn't well, been a head coach in a big-time situation yet. Also, I don't know
0: that I love like the guy who's been running Tampa Bay's offense. But. Oh, I don't know. They were pretty yeah, like, productive. They
1: were this year. Yeah, they were pretty but productive. But there's also been a lot of uh, tumultuous times for that offense well, over the last the, few Well, then you ask yourself, is that the head coach? I mean, was that Dirk Cutter that that, that made those tumultuous times and not the coordinator? And I know Ryan Fitzpatrick swears by him. I mean, he, he said he has the it factor, whatever it is. Um, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick's a pretty smart guy, and he played for the guy. So uh, that sounds like a nice in, endorsement. But no, I, I think it's one of the three. I think it's Biennemi. And I think you you will probably hear something next week along those lines. Um he can't do anything as long as Kansas City still still uh, I mean can't, can't do anything as a coach. I mean you could hire him in, in name, um as long as Kansas City still playing. I think that's why you you haven't heard. I think that's what they're waiting on, is Kansas City to be done and Eric to be hired.
0: I, I do think it seems like all signs point to Eric Bienemy being the guy because you're right. And, if, and the fallback if, is Vance or Hugh. If you clearly wanted Vance or Hugh, like those were your top choices, you're right. I think you would have already made the hire and been definitive about it. Um, it seems like at least from reports that have surfaced that the brown family actually actually did factor in what the fans want and the general apathy from the fans that would have came with hiring a guy that was already in but you know
1: you know what else you could see well you could see you could see I, I agree with that part and that part is true I could also see though because the families talked about offensive coordinator defensive coordinator they make that hire instead of the head coach. You can see Eric Bieniemy head coach, Hugh Jackson offensive coordinator, Vance Joseph defensive coordinator. You really can, you can see it? Do you think any head coach would accept that? Yes. Really? That's my we talked about that on the podcast last week of, of, of what the the candidate you would like to have in there would would be able to do. And
0: you said they'd have to stand up to the Brown family I, and not I, I allow it. I do
1: that. I do, but that doesn't mean I mean if Eric Bieniemy, he is in his what? He's probably in his late 40s at this stage. This is a head coaching job being offered to you um
0: yeah, he's forty nine.
1: Yeah, do you say do you say no? I mean, I don't think you do. I think I think I think you do. I don't. I I I, I, I would. I'm not getting. But I I don't I, think he does. I
0: don't think you say no to the Bengals in general. But if that's what you're being given is we are forcing our coordinators on you, who your coordinators are going to be. And he may love Vance Joseph and Hugh Jackson. Correct, he right, may think they're right. great guys. Exactly. But I would still have a problem I agree with, with you. the concept of the Brown family is telling me who my coordinators are going to be because that the- just spells
1: more problems coming down the no road. No question. I completely agree with you, but I think that's what that, that's the way they do business. That That is maybe Mike's concession to, okay, we'll hire B. enemy, but I still want Hugh and Vance around. I can see it. You can see it. You know you can see yeah, it. Yeah, I mean
0: that's the unfortunate thing. You're saying this, and I'm like, that actually does kind of make sense. I, on one hand, I think it's like it's it does seem like Biondi's their guy. It seemed like he was their guy, kind of coming out of the shoot. They they sort of made a beeline for him in terms of the interview process. Supposedly interviewed well. It does seem like signs are pointing to him now. So on one hand, I'm like, oh, that seems like it played out well for him. On the other hand, it's like, why didn't anyone else seem to want Eric Biennemi as much as the Bengals did? You know, because like all these other teams went out and got their guy, right? and it wasn't really any of the guys that the Bengals were Robert looking at it didn't Bengals, seem he's like
1: got ties mike knows him i mean all those that things, concerns me a little all bit. those things factor into play right or wrong they just factor into play and that's where i think he's the guy and i could see a scenario where the other two guys are still in the organization as well
0: all right caesar's palace released odds on the over under for mlb team wins in 2019 on tuesday The Reds' number is 77, which is tied with the Diamondbacks for 20th highest in Major League Baseball. Among NL Central teams, the Chicago Cubs rank 6th overall with 89 wins. The St. Louis Cardinals rank tied for 7th, 88.5 wins. The Milwaukee Brewers rank tied for 12th with 83.5 wins. And the Pittsburgh Pirates rank 18th with 78.5 wins. Skinny, that would put the Reds in last place if you weren't paying attention, by uh, the way. It does, yes. The, I was paying
1: attention. Thank you. The
0: Reds finished 67 and 95 last year, but have made some significant offseason moves. Do you have the Reds going over or under 77 wins in 2019?
1: I'm going to stupidly say over. I'm also the guy that projected them to go 82 and 80 last year because I thought they'd score X number of runs and, and be better at, at not giving up runs. And, and they were better at not giving up runs. They weren't significantly better, but they were better, and they never got to where I thought they were going to get to offensively because of of injuries. Man, this offense, I, I think I said that a couple weeks ago in the trade, I think you can score 800 runs, and that's a big number. I mean, that's a big number. And I think this pitching staff could allow – less than, way less than 800 runs so if you're looking at that um that's a that's an above 500 team to me so I, i'm gonna go over the only problem is you are playing all those central teams a lot cardinals have gotten better the cubs are still really good the brewers are, are still really good um i don't Pitt, pittsburgh, pittsburgh pittsburgh's okay but i mean they're basically the reds to me i mean they're yeah, right I think the there reds with have reds. a better roster i think the reds have a better roster i mean they're gonna have to prove it at some I know, point right, agreed um i'm taking the over uh, to answer your question i'm taking the over what about you
0: I'm gonna take the over two, but I don't know that I would go over like eighty one. I don't know that they're gonna well, be you in don't a got bunch-
1: much wiggle room between seventy seven and eighty one. No, that's man. what I'm
0: that's what I'm saying. I think that line is very good because I think it's right there. I do think they can make it over seventy seven number. Um, I think they'll be better than the Pirates. I think they will edge them out I think barely be better than the for Brewers fourth. Too. I really do. I, I don't see that
1: at all. I don't think they'll be better than the Cardinals or the Cubs. I, I mean, the think
0: Brewers that. won the division know, last year and may have the best, or the, the most talented roster coming back.
1: I don't know. I think St. Louis made a lot of good moves in the offseason. They did. I, I love the Cubs roster.
0: They did, but uh, the Brewers The Brewers had an impressive they season did. last no, year. I, I'm not ready they, to write they, them off, and I'm certainly I not ready to fair. think the Reds are a better franchise than them all of a sudden. No,
1: no, no, no. But, man, 77, it sounds simplistic to think that they can go over that number, right? But, I mean, that's what I'm saying. They haven't it, gone over 70 in five
0: years. This is my point. So I think they can do over 77. I'm going
1: over. So I'm going over.
0: But I still think they're fourth in the division, and that
1: probably puts them around 78 to 80. Going 84-78. Doing it right now. Fair enough. Maybe going 85-77. Going right now.
0: I do not think they they get over five hundred, but I do think they get over seventy seven. Well, your
1: wiggle room ain't much, brother. No, That's it's all I not. can tell
0: you. That's it's a good line. Vegas is pretty good.
1: Vegas is pretty good. I mean, don't forget, we all made fun of the Bengals' win total of what five? Depend on when you got it, five and a half, six, six and a half. Thought that they'd soar over that four and one start. Oh, Vegas is so how stupid are they? Right on the money. Right on the money.
0: The Associated Press's 2018 NFL All-Pro teams were announced on Friday, and the Bengals were the only team in the AFC North division without an NFL All-Pro on the roster. Skinny, do you think there were any Bengals players snubbed here, or do they even have anyone who was in serious consideration for one of these slots this year?
1: I don't think they got snubbed. I would assume Geno Atkins was probably considered just because he's been an All-Pro before, so at least he's on people's radar. He's been an All-Pro, actually an All-Pro multiple times. And for those that don't know what that that is, I think some people get confused with Pro Bowl and All-Pro. Right. All-Pro is literally, it's it's everybody in both leagues lumped together on one team, and they have a first-team, second-team, and the Bengals had none. Um no, I, Gino didn't have a very good year. I mean, you watch the Bengals enough just as a fan to 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 either notice him or not notice him. I mean, it felt like there were times he was invisible. It felt yeah. like there were times that he was just a guy. And there were times when he played backup guards that he just dominated. It was embarrassing for those guys. That you could look and go, oh, poor guy's got to face Gino today. When he went up against, you know, kind of starting level guys, and look, he does get doubled a bunch. I, I'm going to give him that. And he still wound up with 10 sacks, which is a heck of a number for an interior lineman. Um, but there was just too many times he just felt like he wasn't out there. Um, and and there, when Geno Atkins is really good, you notice him, and he dominates. He completely changes fronts. Didn't feel like that this year, and I don't think there was anybody even close other than him. He was the only guy I can think of.
0: No, I think when you're talking about Geno specifically, one of the biggest issues the Bengals had, in my opinion, this year when they went through that Really rough patch there, where they kind of just hit that skid and, and seemed like they were they had lost their way. But was they couldn't get to quarterbacks at all, and that was the thing that to me was most frustrating because they had guys like Gino and Carlos and some young guys to and, go and, with. And them. Sam
1: Hubbard played great. Sam so, Hubbard if you was factor great. that in; he was really good. But they never really did get to the quarterback very much.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, and not talking about all pro caliber guys necessarily, but if you're talking about Bengals who had a like a really good year, I mean, I guess Gino would be factored in there because he did have a pretty good year when you look at the numbers
1: and, and mix led the AFC in rushing, but I don't think he's an all-pro running back. There's four or five guys in the and the NFC that are better.
0: Well, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, Joe Mixon has to be in there. Tyler Boyd would have to be in there in terms of guys who played well for the Bengals. But neither of those two no. are all-pro guys correct. yet. Correct. I mean, Jesse Bates, I think, on a the good defensive year, side, had a good year and looks like really promising, but certainly not all-pro consideration. correct. A.J. Green being out of the mix with the injury, I think, kind of took that option away, the only real sure. shot this year. Right. So right. when you start looking at things from that perspective, it makes a little more sense how uh, this year went for the Bengals. They didn't have many guys play well.
1: <coughs> no, that's the thing. It, it, when, when you do look at it that way, um, you can see why this team finished 6-10. and 10. And, yeah, you can factor some injuries, all those things in there. But when you start looking at different levels and going, right, who at that level played really well? I mean, don't forget, I like William Jackson III. I think he's a really good corner. Um, interceptions don't always tell the tale of, of cornerbacks. But they didn't have a single cornerback recorded interception. Not one. I mean, you, you should luck into one. Michael Johnson, a defensive end, lucked into one, right. right? I mean, you should luck into at least one. They had none. So that'll tell you. You start going level to level. Um, yeah, Bates and Sean Williams played well. Corners were okay, but not great. The line underperformed, I thought. The linebackers were horrible. The offensive line, nobody stood out. Joe Mixon did. Yeah, I mean, you start looking and going, all right, that guy's pretty good, and that guy's pretty good. But, man, you start adding up the not-so-goods. You see why they finished 6-10. I mean,
0: in terms of established guys, there's very few, I mean, other than like Tyler Boyd, that you can say, oh, he, he took a step forward this year. And he Mixon. had a really good year. And Mixon. But Mixon, I wouldn't say, is an established guy. I think he's still new. He's oh, kind okay. of on the rise yeah. still. Yeah. I'm saying like, yeah. in terms of guys that have been around that aren't on, on the rise still, I think like Boyd was the only one that kind of took a step forward and broke out a little bit. Everyone else either regressed or is just kind of meh.
1: And I don't think Gino's a guy that when I know people can look at the concept and see he took the contract, took the money, and, and took a deep breath. I just wonder if you're know starting to get up there a little bit in age, and it starts to catch up to you a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think he's the type of guy that needs players around him now, especially. Yes, correct. Um, he's correct. not a freak athlete or anything. Yep. He's just so strong, and he kind of is a is a grinder, for lack of a better title. You know what you're going to get out of him, but he's not going to make those elite plays. Yes, so,
1: and, and Andrew Billings next to him looked like he ate a house, and so he was mm, terrible. Not ideal. Uh, Michael Johnson looks like he runs like a 70-year-old man. Not ideal. So he aged quickly. He aged very quickly. And so what do you think offensive lines are doing against Geno Atkins for them? most part yeah double team correct up. on almost every play yep. rick xavier pulled off a crazy come from behind win over georgetown on wednesday night while playing without quentin Gooden. and they erased a 17 point deficit late in the first half to pull away to an 81 75 win it snapped a two game losing streak and even their big east record at two and two i think eight nate's going to win the league this year everybody's going to finish eight nate it <laughs> hey, feels you, that way you might not be wrong um did you see anything that makes you think xavier might be figuring things out i don't know that
0: they're figuring things out But I do think they're getting better, and there are a few things that were interesting about last night's win. The problem with this team is, and we talked about this on uh, our Dana Victory podcast on musketeerreport.com, and my guy Dan said it's kind of like whack-a-mole for this team, because, and it is that way a lot, because something goes wrong and you fix it. there's another one. Yeah, and then something else pops up the next game, and that's because you're just a limited team that's not very consistent, that can't shoot, And some of these other teams are better than you. So your problems aren't always your problems as much as they are. The other teams are just better at you in certain areas. So they take away what you're able to do from game to game at times. And I think that's what you've seen a lot of. Specifically relating to the Georgetown game, I think you saw two things that were really interesting. One, they played the two big men together a lot.
1: And you can do that when you zone like they did.
0: Yes. And also, I think one thing that people aren't realizing is very few teams in 2019 play two big men together to where... You can leave two big men out on the court defensively. It just gets really hard to guard all the perimeter. players. Well, because
1: very few teams play a traditional zone anymore, just because of the way teams can shoot the basketball. Well, right, but I
0: mean, but even if you're, if even if you're not in zone, I mean, just going back to when like Chris Mack first started, he always played two yeah, big true. men together. Yeah, you know, yeah, what I mean? he yeah. played Matt Stainbrook and Jalen Reynolds right. or and James Farr together. Now, no one does that for the most part in the Big East. Except for Georgetown is one of the few teams that almost always has two big men on the floor. So from a matchup perspective... They have perspective, a big man as a coach. Right. And Patrick Ewing still thinks that's a viable way to yes. score in 2019. But so I think that made it a lot easier. I think DePaul's another team you could do that against. Seton Hall might have been in stretches too because they play two bigs a little bit or at least an unskilled four man. But... You had Tyreek in early foul trouble, and then when they tried to put him back in, he was terrible. Right. So I'll be interested to see if they do a little bit more of that uh, when they play Seton Hall the next time. But a lot of the teams in the league – I just don't think you're going to be able to leave two big men on the floor because you're going to be in foul trouble or you're just not going to be able to guard the other teams on the perimeter when they're running out four men that can really shoot and stretch the floor.
1: But you, but you are going to probably be a better team with Quentin Gooden on the floor and a big off of it. I mean, this was kind of by default, right? Sure. I mean, let's, let's face that. Uh, last night, they didn't
0: have Quentin right, Gooden because right. of a, a knee injury. So that did change things and, and left them scrambling a bit. And on that note, the, the guy who really stepped up and took advantage of those extra minutes was Elias Harden. And he's really, he had that spurt there in Hawaii. Yeah,
1: where it looked like he was going to be a, an extra, extra scorer, an extra guy.
0: Yeah, he made seven threes in two games and didn't even play a lot of minutes in those games. And then since then... He's been 0 for 9 from three-point range since the Hawaii trip. Really hasn't played a lot of minutes, period. It seemed like the, the staff had pretty much given up on him, and with good reason. He, he had turned the ball over almost every time he was touching it. Plus, when he's not turning it over, he's hoisting a shot every time he touches, and a lot of those shots weren't great looks. Um, but in this game, he didn't turn the ball over. He had an assist and a steal early in the first half before he even scored. And then he had two big threes. Each one of those threes, Xavier was trailing by two at the time. Right, put him, put him up by one. Right. Just big momentum type shots. I thought he really showed them something to at least say, "Look, this season is obviously hasn't gone the way anyone wanted it to. Uh, they have a lot of issues and they don't have any depth. At least he showed some signs of life that to, to say the coaching staff, hey." Don't forget about me. Throw me in another time or two as we go along in this thing, and, and maybe there's still some upside here. Well,
1: that's what I wonder because they had to do it by default, right? I mean, your, your, your rotation was, is short anyway, even if right. Quentin Gooden plays. Is he a kind of kid that, that literally does look over his shoulder for every mistake and, and worries about that kind of stuff? Or last night he realized they can't sub me out because they ain't got anybody else. I'm just going to play through this stuff.
0: I don't know because you know, the thing about him is he's always been super aggressive. Like it's not like he's been gunshy when he gets in the game and he's worried about making mistakes. He's just hoisting it up as soon as he gets in there. And also in this game, it's not like there wasn't another option. Keontae Kennedy has yeah. been getting more minutes than him recently. Now granted, they don't seem to want to play Keontae at the point and Elias didn't play any point either last night, because Paul Scruggs played all 40 minutes. I thought, he was, great. Point I thought he was great. He was really, really good. And, and a warrior to stay in there 40 minutes. Yep. But I think Elias maybe gives, they feel like is more of a ball handler than Keontae at this point, though I don't know why with all the turnovers, but maybe that's why he got a little extra time. But Keontae was another option there. And Travis has favored Keontae basically since Hawaii um, in that uh, the extra guard role. So it was interesting to see Elias get more time and then him make something out of it. I think the
1: Big East is going to be interesting because... Th- if you look at Xavier, they're they're two and two, and and you weren't going to Marquette probably in winning. The margin was ugly. The way they played was ugly. All those things made it ugly, right? Right. Seton Hall game was winnable it was a 50-50 game at the end you didn't win it I mean they could very easily be 3-1 and one. you'd be thinking man what a great start yeah. I think these are the games you got to keep winning the games that are that are the the winnable home games and maybe a winnable road game like a DePaul which they've already played maybe even going back to Georgetown um, it, it, it it Georgetown will likely be favored and, and probably rightfully so I think if you could do that I still think this team finds a way to get to 500 in the league or maybe just below it maybe I'm pipe dreaming this outside of the game
0: at Villanova at Marquette was probably the next hardest game on your whole slate and 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 quite honestly the way marquette played had xavier played well at all made just a couple of shots they could have been right in that game right so um again i keep using this term uh, but Xavier doesn't get overwhelmed by these teams you know they're not a good team they're not well constructed but they still have three four star top 100 type guys in their lineup and their starting rotation and a couple centers who are pretty good there so they have the size the athleticism the ability to play with most of these teams they just don't the pieces don't fit right. all that well together right, right
1: now. Right. Let's get to the gambling portion of the of the podcast. Before we get to some of the lines for basketball local local games and the NFL over the weekend, we got to talk about a couple of bad beats, right? You got it. We got it. Th- this was like one of the bad beat week week ends extended that I've seen in a it long time. It just kept going. For those that had, <clears throat> excuse me, Cowboys minus two and a half. In a normal game scenario where a kicker's not hurt, Seattle is going to kick an extra point to make it a three point game because it's the logical thing to do, correct? Uh, you would think. Can't do it because uh. kickers hurt, so they have to go they have to go for two. What happens when they go for two? They make the two point conversion, lose by two. If you had Dallas minus two and a half, that is an Awful, awful beat. Then came Kentucky on Tuesday against Texas A&M, and I didn't know this rule. I, I wish I'd have known it. I didn't realize that if, if a shot clock goes off, you can't just throw the ball straight up and let the time run out. That you actually have to what make a shooting motion. I'm assuming correct. So in the Texas A&M game, Kentucky with I think 30.8 seconds to go, got a final possession. John Calipari tells his guys just dribble the clock out. Um, one of the players I think it was was, it, uh, was it, it was it was Jamal Baker I think threw, threw the ball to the rafters. Well, they called him for a shot clock violation. So Texas A&M gets to take it out on the side. Depending on where you got the spread, I saw it early in the day at 14.5. Kentucky at the time was up 14, so that wouldn't have mattered. But I know some people got it around 12.5 or 13. So at that stage, you're thinking, who? Kentucky covered by by just barely. But boy, they covered. Well, Texas A&M has .8. They get it in, hoist a half-court shot, make it, lose by 11, Bad beat. Brutal. Then comes Creighton and Marquette. One of the worst beats, just general beats in a long time.
0: I mean, just one of the worst games to lose for a college team that Correct. I've seen in a long time. let
1: alone. Time. So Marquette is a, or actually, Creighton is a three-point favorite. Maybe two and a half, depending on where you got it. They make two free throws. So let's just say you got it at 2.5. You got lucky and got it on the downswing at 2.5. And, a half. and, and you, sw- you sweat out the free throws at the end. Right? It's a three-point game. You're trying to get it away from where somebody throws one in at the buzzer and you lose. Well, Mark- or Creighton makes two free throws to go up 580-580 with 7.8 seconds to go. Down, down comes Marquette. You're like thinking, man, don't hoist a three. Don't. But, they, but you know they got it. So they hoist a the three. Miss it so badly that it lands in a Marquette player's lap right by the bucket. He tries to lay it up, no good. Gets his own rebound, lays it back in. Three-point game with point eight, And you're thinking, whew, barely survived. Thank God he didn't make the three, and thank God that guy decided to shoot a layup. Well then, Creighton. Hey, what a great win for you at home, right? You're going to survive this. They throw a pass length of the floor, and Creighton player decides I can't touch it. I don't want it to go out of bounds off of me. When all he has to do is touch it, Rick, and what happens to the clock? It takes away. It's gone. Yeah. He decides not going to touch it. So where does the ball get inbounded? Back under Marquette's basket, right where it was. Throw in a three at the buzzer, and Marquette goes on to win in overtime. I mean that those are those are three crazy bad beats.
0: Yeah, and. It's hard to say. I saw like one of the guys who covers Marquette calling it the best college basketball game he's ever seen. It's hard for me to agree with that when you saw it. The way it went into overtime with one of the dumbest plays in college basketball
1: history. More, I mean, I, I'll ask you, I guess that's the part that bothers me. And you can blame maybe McDermott. and Say, why are you throwing it the length of the floor to have something like that? No, happen? that's exactly what that, you should do. I, I, I agree. I'm just, I'm, I, I'm trying to put through scenarios for people seeing this. Go, why, why are you doing that? Because all your player has to do is touch it. I'm going to guess in the huddle, he even said, just make sure you touch it.
0: Yeah, I'm even, guessing even if you don't waste the rest of the clock, if you just knock it out of
1: bounds on the other end of the court, that's they're it. not getting a shot off. Correct. The time would run off anyway. Right. I mean, at point eight. It was going to run off. You there. would hope. The, the thing Thing for me, is can the kid not even be somewhat court-aware or pay attention in the huddle? I mean, is that what it is? Is a kid not paying that any attention well, in the huddle? I, I, this might have been something
0: that wasn't actually directly addressed because if you're playing basketball at this level, it has to be common sense. I would hope, like, Skinny, this is stuff you've talked about with your grade school teams that you've coached. I, I taught to like grade school girls' teams I coached. Like, it's unfathomable to not know that this is something you do. In the sport, a lot of them don't. I'm telling you, a lot of them don't. Uh, that's my numbing. I is, don't know about is. a lot. A lot at this level, uh, high major division one basketball don't know that. I, I don't. That I, gets, I, I talked to, to division one college
1: flight. head coach a few years ago, um, and I said, "Man, I'm having a hard time with my guys screening properly." I said, "What can you do?" He goes, ha, "That's funny." He goes, "My guys don't screen very well either." And I thought. Wait, Well, wait a minute. Your guy? Whoa, Skinny. Whoa, seriously? The difference between
0: running proper screens the way a Division One coach wants them to be run, which is subjective, versus not knowing that if True. you touch, uh, okay. don't touch the ball, it's going to be inbounded directly underneath the basket. I the think same basketball spot.
1: IQ across the board isn't very high. But
0: again, that's not basketball IQ to me. That is like a simple, basic rule. It's like not knowing over and back or not knowing out of bounds exists. It's, it's a basic rule. Well, I, well, it's not knowing you have to hit the free throw, the okay. rim on a free
1: throw. Okay, I, I,
0: I'm. And that I'm with you. That I,
1: I just can't I, imagine happening at this level. I I would agree with you. I I I'm kind of having a hard time with it myself. But um, just a dumb dumb way to end the game. I mean, the best part is you watch the guy, literally pull his hand away. Like, oh, I can't touch that ball. Yes, yeah, son, that's exactly what you were supposed to do. Knock it out of bounds. Aye, yeah yeah. All right, let's get to some spreads, Rick. Right?
0: All right, starting on Friday night at 7 p.m. The Wright State Raiders come to NKU in a battle of preseason number one versus number two. The Norse, according to Ken Palm, are favored by seven in that game. The total is 139. I just want to point this out real quick. The total for the NKU game, the UC-Yukon game, and the Butler-Xavier game, <laughs> 139 for all three games this weekend, which, very weird. I feel like it's a sign you should go...
1: All the same way on all those games, but I'm just not sure if it's over or under. Yeah, come on, Ken Palm, give us a little better number. Now, I think NKU absolutely houses Wright State. I think because of the fact Wright State was favored to win the league because um, because NKU NKU is just a better team. Um, I, I, you know, they they had the loss to Oakland, but came back the two nights later to, to boat race Detroit. The fact it's at home, I'm going to go NKU eighty-one sixty-four. I'll take NKU in the over.
0: I can, I can refrain from making a pick on this game after what happened last time, right? Yeah,
1: yeah you, you can. <laughs> do, do, you you want to no, take a stab I, anyway? You want to take a stab at the total at least?
0: Yeah, no, I think it goes over. I actually don't think NKU covers the seven. Really? I'd like to think they could, but...
1: I think the, I think there'd be a nice crowd for that. I think you'll have a nice atmosphere. I think it's for gonna be that. a
0: great crowd for it. I
1: think that will carry NKU, and I just think they are the better team by far.
0: But I do too. But I think this game has legitimately come, become a bit of a rivalry type game, right. and I think it's going to be scrappy, and it's a chance for Wright State to kind of write the ship for themselves. You know, I mean, they came up with a big win after getting housed at Detroit, right. so um, I think they're trying to build some confidence, and this would certainly be a way to do that. So I'm expecting a close game. I do think the Norse will win, at least I certainly John hope
1: Brandon so. John Brandon in that locker room is going to tell his guys they were picked to win the league ahead of us. It's time to, for some payback.
0: <laughs> is that your John Brandon I can't, get as, deep, I can't get as deep as John. Goetz. Yeah,
1: No, you really can't. It's that impossible. Is, uh, it's impossible for anybody. To he get sounds like as a as rock star. He really does.
0: You sounded like Sling Blade or something. Oh, uh, well, I like him
1: French fried and
0: <laughs> <laughs> Saturday, 8 p.m., Skinny, UConn at UC. The Bearcats are favored by nine, according to Ken Palm. The total for that
1: game one thirty nine. What do you got? I'm going to go. I'm going UConn to cover UC to win, and I'm going to go under. Just that's a high to any anytime you get to 140 with UC, that's pretty high. I'll go Bearcats sixty nine sixty
0: three. I agree with you there. I don't see them covering a nine point spread against this UConn team. I think this game will and, be and, interesting. And, and we
1: are doing this podcast the day that UC is playing Tulsa, so. This game could be huge. I think it's huge no matter what, because you can take some momentum off of a win at Tulsa if you do, and if not, man, you got to bounce back quickly uh, before this season goes sideways on you.
0: I would agree. Saturday at 8.30 p.m., Vanderbilt is at Kentucky. The Wildcats are favored by 13. The total in that game, 151. I don't think Vandy's very good. No, they're not. Um, But then again, this U.K. team doesn't seem to want to run away from anybody. No.
1: It's funny because the A and M game was way closer, even even than them throwing in the three at the end. I mean, it was it was a single digit game for for the most part. UK put on a pretty good run at the end. I don't think UK's put a complete game together, maybe other than Carolina. Yeah, but it feels like they're doing things better. I mean, they definitely re- really are. Does. They look a
0: lot better than they did a month ago.
1: I- I'm going to take Kentucky to cover that number, and I'm going to go over because Vandy can't guard. I'll go Kentucky eighty-seven seventy-one.
0: Yeah, I'd like to think they can cover that number easily, but I just see this being a game where they like are leading by 15 or 17 or 20 right. with about take, 10 minutes take, take to go, a deep breath, and then it turns into a six- to eight-point game by the time the buzzer goes off. Uh, I, I do like the over as well, but I think Vanderbilt covers that 13. Right. And then finally, on Sunday at noon, Butler is at Xavier. The
1: Musketeers are one-point underdogs in that game, one thirty nine. The total. Nah, I I don't. I think this is a mediocre Butler team. Um, and, and this is like the Georgetown game. This is the game at home that you need to win and should win. And I think Xavier does win. Question is, I mean, wh- where does Quentin Gooden stand? Yeah, I mean, it's day no to day. It's day to day
0: right now, and they they keep making it seem like it's not a big deal. When I say they. It's Xavier and right. Travis Steele basically mostly. Um, the problem is if it's not a big deal, I don't see how he sits out. All the practices since the Marquette game and doesn't, doesn't play. play, and after the team's in a two-game losing skid in Big East play, so to me, it's at least something to be concerned about. I'm not convinced that he's going to play on Sunday against Butler. But yeah, I
1: think if he plays, it's a really, really easy win for. Them. I think it's almost an eight to ten point win for them. If he cool. doesn't play, I think the one thing is if he doesn't play is you can sell your guys on look. He just didn't play the last game, and guess what? You guys found a way to win, come back from 17 down, don't put yourself in that kind of hole. And I think we're, I think they're good. I think I'll go Xavier. I'll go 75-67. So Xavier covers and it goes over the total.
0: I think Xavier covers. I think this could be one of those ugly games between these two teams where they're just scrapping and fighting and clawing. In the first half, it's like 24-21 to or something (laughs) like that. I think this game goes under. I like Xavier to get the win. Moving us into some NFL actions, Skinny, on Saturday night. We've got the first game of the playoffs, 435 p.m. Colts at Chiefs. Chiefs are five-point favorites. The total, 57-and-a-half.
1: I'm going to go Colts and the under. I'll go the Chiefs win the game 27-23. Um, I, their, their defense isn't isn't all that, that good, but their offense is good enough. I think Luck makes a couple of big plays in that game to keep them around. I'm... A Colts win wouldn't shock me because they're playing so well. I mean, they have only lost one time in the last eleven games they played. Yeah, their that defense a, has really gotten a it, lot it, better. It, it has. Um, I'm still. I'm still. I think the Chiefs win it. Although we've seen the Andy Reid playoff meltdowns before, I'll, I'll take the Colts to cover and lose, and take the under for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on the uh, Andy Reid meltdown train. I I'm gonna go that more so just for that narrative to stay alive. I think the Chiefs are good. I think Pat Mahomes is awesome, but I I think the Colts are are gonna surprise some people. And this this line is seems like a little bit of a suckers line there at five.
1: It does. I mean, five's a weird number because because yeah. it never it just kind of hangs out there because games don't end on fives, of right? Of course I mean, not. Usually the main numbers are three. Three seven ten or three even four seven ten. Those are the main numbers. Five is a weird number. I'm yeah. It feels like they're trying to reel you. Like the Chiefs, you're not only getting them at less than a touchdown. You're getting them at a point less than a touchdown got to take them. I, I, Colts are doing too many good things for me.
0: I agree. I like the Colts to cover, but I'm going to take the Colts to win too. I would like I, it the Colts wouldn't on the money me. line in this one if yeah,
1: I'm betting it. That's a good call. I, yeah, I, I, I think that's I like a good, it to stay under yeah. as well though.
0: Um, moving us to Saturday at 8 15 p.m. you got the Cowboys at the Rams. The Rams are seven point favorites and the total is 49 and a half in this one.
1: Uh, Cowboys will slow the game down with the running game. I don't think they'll win, but I do think they'll cover comfortably. I, I think this one too. I'll go Rams. Twenty I'm going to take the Cowboys to cover and the under.
0: I like that. I think the Cowboys do cover. I think this is going to be a close one. I think your score total is right there. It's like that 24-21, 23-20 type score. Rams just eke it out, and uh, it does not hit the over. Moving us on to Sunday at one o five p.m., Chargers at the Patriots. Patriots are four-point favorites. The total is 47 in that game.
1: I'm taking the Chargers, man. I'm a believer. I think they got dudes. They got dudes on that defensive side. Um, they've been really good away from home. Um, you know, you, you, a lot of times you think that, that West Coast team going east, it's not going to work. It's worked great for them. They've been really good away from home. It is tough to have to go to Baltimore, then back to New England. I, I'm taking the Chargers to win this outright. I, I, I'll go Chargers, Chargers 27 24, I think it goes over.
0: This is the game I feel most confident about. The Patriots will absolutely win. They will absolutely cover. And next week when we come on this podcast, we will be talking about how the Patriots look like the favorites to win the Super Bowl again. Okay. I'm convinced after watching last weekend's games that – and then granted, the best teams weren't playing last weekend, but you're just kind of looking the way the season finished up. The Rams took a step back. The Chiefs were great for stretches, but then uh, up and down at points – I don't think anyone's all that good this year, and as much as we've the Patriots talked, included, though, of course. But as much as we have talked about the Patriots not being as good this year, year after year after year, then when they get to this time of year, all of a sudden they are that good. They're still the best until someone proves they're not, and I don't know. I don't know that I see anyone else doing that this year. I like the Patriots. Finally, Sunday, four forty p.m. Eagles at Saints. The Saints are favored by
1: eight points. 51 is the total on that one. Saints really struggled offensively down the stretch, and yeah, I can't they put a finger on that. Um, I, I'm sticking with the Nick Foles magic, man. I, th- I'm gonna, I, I think Eagles win this one outright. I'll go Eagles 27-26. I'm going to go with the weirdest score I can possibly think of. 27-26. Eagles to win outright and go over the total.
0: Is it just me or the two biggest spreads here are the Cowboys at Rams and Eagles at Saints? Those are the two games I feel most confident could end on upsets.
1: I, I took the dog in every game. I could make a case for the dog in all four games to win. I could, too. Um, and this one, this one, I, eight eight's a gift, in my opinion. I, I know the Saints housed them earlier this year there. This is a different Eagles team. It's not just different offensively. They've been darn good defensively down the stretch and in the playoff game.
0: Without a doubt. What they did against the Bears was impressive. I know Trubisky had a great second half against that defense and turned it on, but they still made enough plays right, to they still win. scored 15 points. Yeah, and I, I mean, you look at, you look at that spread; it's just too big. I think the Eagles cover. I don't. I don't like them to win necessarily, but I do think they cover that eight points. And I think this one could go over the fifty-one. That's a big number, but but I I think I'd take the over if I'm going to bet that one. So there we go.
1: So I'm going all four dogs. How about that? And two dogs to win outright. I, I don't hate that move by you. I have to go to the money line on a couple of those, maybe. <laughs> all right. We'll see.
0: Well, let us know how that works it, out for it, you.
1: Exactly skinny clemson
0: rolled alabama 44 16 in the college football playoff national championship the tigers had a 14 13 lead at the end of the first quarter but alabama didn't find the end zone the rest of the night as clemson took a 31 16 lead in a halftime and blew the game open in the third quarter so do you think we're watching alabama's reign as the premier college football power
1: come to an end nope i think what you're going to see is nick saban's going to Rack his brain and not allow something like that to ever, ever, ever happen to him or his team again. I think that they come back, because he's still recruiting at an extremely high level. I mean, they're still pil- pulling in dudes. So is Clemson. They're still pulling in dudes left and right. Um, you know, they had a they had a great season up until that game. Maybe there was a little slippage starting in the SEC Championship game, a little bit in the Oklahoma game. I think he'll fix that. Whatever it takes to fix that, I am confident in Nick Saban. If I think he, this will burn deep for him enough to make, make whatever corrections need to be made. I think we're going to see Alabama keep rolling this as long as Nick Saban's there coaching the Alabama Crimson Tide.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And and the thing you look at is Nick Saban is not a guy that's going to ride off into the sunset and say, I'm worried about my legacy and I'm going to retire while I'm ahead or anything like that. That guy's going to die coaching or at least being involved with the sport. Someone's going to have to force him out. He's not ready to give up. And last I checked, 2019, you know, as the number one recruiting class in the country, Alabama, correct. Twenty twenty, you know, who's off to a number one start in the. Alabama, class? Alabama. So until they stop recruiting at a level like no one else can recruit, except for Clemson, Georgia, another school or two uh, occasionally, but they seem to go up and down. You know, it's it's really only a few. Georgia's got some that are... dudes.
1: Georgia's got some dudes. Oh yeah, yeah, their
0: their class next year is unbelievable, yeah. but it's also behind Alabama's right now. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, except for a few of those teams, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama. Ohio State is kind of in that mix as well, maybe Oklahoma. But outside of those teams, anyone else that sneaks up in that top five in the recruiting rankings, they do it for a year. And then they cycle back again in three or four or five years. These teams do it every single year. And until that playing field evens out in terms of recruiting – it, these teams are going to continue to dominate the sport. Yeah,
1: I think when Nick Saban goes back and looks at this, I mean, he made some un Nick Saban like decisions. The going for it, the fake, the fake field goal with the, just it didn't even look like it was very well designed or executed. And it just you came at a think time. Everyone
0: on the field knew it was coming. Everyone <laughs> in America knew it was coming. Sitting at home watching the game, they don't trust their kicker. So right. you're not going to kick right. a long field goal, and then even after. Clemson comes out in a field goal safe formation, clearly expecting you to fake it. Yeah, take
1: your time out or something. You still
0: kind of look at each other like, hey, are we actually going to run this still? Because they know it's coming. And everyone's just kind of like, yeah, go ahead. Just try it. Give it a try. Right,
1: kicker's a good blocker. Go ahead and let him yeah. get a lead blocker on I mean, this just, play.
0: Just run a play. You're Alabama. You have the most talented athletes in the country.
1: Give those guys a chance. Yeah, I, he's going to fix this. I'm just telling you. It was. It's, it's a... It's a two-and-a-half-quarter meltdown. It's not a season-long or a program-long meltdown. It was a two-and-a-half-quarter meltdown against a team that's really good.
0: And even if he doesn't fix it, I'm sure there's enough bags in the state of Alabama to find a way to get the right players in that game. There's that, too. Which, Skinny, this, this whole situation kind of brings me to the next que- question, which I'm really curious to get your thoughts on. Which team in the history of all sports had the most impressive dynasty, in your opinion? Man,
1: if you go way back, I mean, those Boston Celtics, Red back teams, but that was a different NBA then, right? I mean, it was a different, different game. And that's and they why played I say, on a different level. That's
0: why I say most impressive. I didn't say I best because there's so many like different hockey teams or, Correct. or or old basketball teams where you can look at and say they dominated the sport, but it was different with the, no free agency. All and, right.
1: The most impressive to me is what New England has done over the uh, last 16 or 17 years it. in a league that... that is that, that it built, par- for it's built for parity? Built right. for parity. Built for parity. No one
0: else can sustain it in this league.
1: Yeah, I mean they are literally in the conversation to win the Super Bowl every single year since what 2001, wherever they won the first one of this this run.
0: And there's, no, there's nothing else like that in, in this era of sports where free agency and guys are, are forming super teams and leaving. And I'm not just talking about football. I'm talking about NBA. I'm talking about Major League Baseball. Like, no one else can keep a roster together. And it's not even like the Patriots are keeping no one, one right? That's exactly what I was going to say. They've yeah. a quarterback and a coach together, and they've replaced all the other parts, and they still find a way to be in the conversation I, every year. It's unbelievable. I
1: was thinking the exact same thing. I, I really would love to know. I, I mean, I could do this. I'm not going to do it because it would take hours of time. wonder <laughs> how many guys guys on both sides of the ball, on 53-man roster since Tom Brady's been there, how many different guys have played for the Patriots since Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been there? I bet someone's done that research I, I bet you they have, too. It's two. probably it's got, out there on the internet. It's, it's I be, don't care enough to look it up. Right, I don't but, either, but yeah. you got to admit, it's got to be a, probably a high number, Correct. Because it is. It's been those two guys. There's your constant. They've lost coordinators on both sides of the ball. They've, they've they've let guys walk as free agents. They bring different guys in that you're like, wait a minute, what are you picking that cat up for? Why are you picking up Rex Burkhead, man? <laughs> I mean, for whatever it is, it, to me, it's just in a league in which, I mean, I, I think in this town, I, five playoff appearances in a row is a damn good run in this league. That's hard to do, oh, man. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and and we lose sight of it because the Bengals didn't win a playoff game in that in that in that frame. And I get it, but this team, it is. We're talking now. You're going on two almost two decades of this
0: of every year not being competitive, not being a playoff team, but being a legitimate favorite to go to the Super Bowl every single year. Correct. It, that's just in any sport now with the way they work and the way guys move teams and the way rosters turn over. That's hard to imagine. And I I can't think of anything. I mean. You go back to the Lakers through the 2000s. It's like, man, LeBron was coming in towards the end of that. Like there were some years where, yeah, they always kind of dominated the West uh, for the most part. But there were some years where they weren't the best team. And and I can't think of a year really where you can clearly point and say there was a better team in the AFC than the Patriots since 2001. I
1: mean, even go through those 2000s. I mean, you had the Pistons win it one year. You had uh, Spurs, Spurs had had some good ones. No, I mean this Patriots run is. It's every freaking year. Heck, even a year when you lost Tom Brady, you went 11 and 5 with Matt Castle at quarterback. I mean, it's incredible what they've done.
0: It really is, and and it's it's funny you bring that up because I was I was interested to see if you would maybe go to one of the older teams because there were some more dominant stretches. When yeah, they, the Celtics
1: stretch of the of the late fifties through the six through almost through the entire decade of the sixties is insane.
0: Yeah, I mean the UCLA run is obviously ridiculous. Again, in a row, but, but again, I mean you could really just do whatever you wanted then in terms of recruiting. Well, and, yeah, you
1: could do whatever you wanted. You also had less teams in the NCAA tournament; it was less of a Totally different sport. You literally played by region, and out west there was hardly anybody to challenge UCLA. So almost every year by default, fault they were going to the final four and you get to the final four it it you know a lot of different things can happen and they they look they had guys I mean you you can just look at some of the dudes that are in the NBA or in the pro basketball in the basketball hall of fame a lot of UCLA guys that, that were that were great but and it was an impressive run but I just think New England what they've done at the professional level in a league in which you're talking about three-year windows and maybe five-year windows and the window opens for the three years and then it closes for a couple of years that it's never closed on them it just hasn't nope
0: The Arizona Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury. Kingsbury only had a 35-40 record as head coach at Texas Tech before being fired in November, but he was quickly scooped up in early December by USC to be their offensive coordinator, and the record didn't deter NFL interest. Before Kingsbury interviewed with the Cardinals, he also interviewed with the New York Jets for their vacant head coaching job, and the Patriots were reportedly interested in him taking over as offensive coordinator, had current offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels gotten a head coaching gig. Skinny, what do you make of this Cliff Kingsbury decision? It seemed like it came out of left field to a certain extent. Do you like it?
1: Do you think it's innovative? Do you think it's goofy? Where do you come out of it? I think it's all of those. It is goofy because what what is his track record? It's 35 and 40. His defenses were terrible. Now look worked with some talented quarterbacks. You're also, you're also at Texas Tech. And I think that was the part of it. Is I think he's getting some credit for Baker Mayfield a little bit, because he was at Texas Tech initially. I think he's getting some credit. Uh, obviously for Pat Mahomes, and maybe rightfully so. And in in the NFL right now, it is a head coach quarterback league, and you better have a good relationship and the ability to develop the quarterback. And um, if they think he's the guy to be the Josh Rosen whisperer, I get that part of it, but I just don't, I don't, I just don't, don't know. Don't
0: you kind of question why he didn't win at a higher level when he had
1: Pat Mahomes? Now that we're seeing how well, good Pat they Mahomes s- is. They scored at a high level, though. They did. I mean, their whole issue issues been they, they were so bad on the other side it's of the ball. It's always play. been that. I mean, my good. The With one them. Pat Mahomes-Oklahoma game the year, because Joe Mixon played it, and we actually talked to him about it this year when uh, when Mahomes was going to go up against Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield was a quarterback. I mean, I think they, they had like 800 yards but still lost the game. I mean, right. that's impossible to me.
0: But that's that's sort of my point, though. Don't you? Doesn't that concern you a little bit that you have something that's that talented, that transcendent, and you couldn't figure out a way to scheme enough the rest to to get? I I, I, I mean, I know football is a different sport in that way, where if you're that, that bad on one side, you're you're bad. Your and offense they, can't really come out and make tackles for yes, you. Yes,
1: correct. And but I think still, I think what what you do in the NFL is. Um, you know, it's not like you're trying to out-recruit Alabama here. You're trying to draft better than other teams, but you're not out-recruiting somebody for guys. And so you're not having to lure people to Lubbock, Texas. What you're doing is you're picking them to come to Phoenix, Arizona or Glendale where, where they play. Um So that's on your front office to get that other side of the football right. And I think they really think that, look, this guy is going, is a great quarterback guru. He's going to make Josh Rosen better. And when he makes Josh Rosen better, he's going to make our whole football team better. And that that part I get. I just think man, what did you really accomplish as a head coach and where did you cut your teeth to become a head coach, one of 32 in that league, which is hard to do. I do like him going outside the box because, let's face it, we've talked about such a recycled league. You've seen some of these hires. I mean, Freddie Kitchens went from not even being the offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns to becoming offensive coordinator on an interim basis to and become the head coach. Now head
0: coach, yeah. You know,
1: Vic Fangio was was kind of outside the box because he, he hasn't been a head coach. Um, you did see Adam Gase looks like he's going to get the Jets job, um, but I would have to say that, honestly, I I can't – I mean, Ryan Tannehill sucks, and that team was terrible. I don't know if that was an Adam Gase issue. Um, They think that he can turn Sam Darnold around. So I I, I get the hire on that part. I just – I mean, I think you need to make your bones a little more than that. But good luck to you, Cliff.
0: I would think so, too, but I, I will say I am intrigued. It does pique my interest. It does get me excited to watch Arizona Cardinals football next year. I mean, this is an interesting hire.
1: Best-looking head coach.
0: Well, and he the guy has the it factor. He does have the like, it factor. He's a good-looking guy. He seems like a celebrity when he walks into a place. I mean, he's, he's got it going on. I could definitely see him. And, again, this is why I don't understand – I know it's Lubbock, Texas, but how could this guy not recruit a linebacker? How could he not recruit someone that could get him a stop? I'm with you. It just
1: doesn't make sense to me. Something seems have, off about him. Here's my question for you. At have, the same time, I like the hire. Have you been to Lubbock, Texas? No. Okay. Would you want to go to Lubbock, no. Texas? There's, but you just answered my question. But you're not. But no. No you, one wants me to play linebacker either. Like, do you want to go to Lubbock, Texas? If skinny. you are a, a recruit of any renown, do you want to go to Lubbock, Texas? No, Thank but you. my
0: parents might like a new house or a new car or something in Lubbock. Oh, well, there's Kansas, that. That. That, that That's yeah. Them, I
1: mean, you can maybe pull figure that it off. out. Yeah. All right. Do we have a ghost story this week?
0: Skinny, I have been advised. Um, we talked about my ghost situation last yes. week. Uh, I, I've talked to some people. We've been in contact. There's we've been putting contact with some ghost experts in the area, some ghost hunters. I, I talked to them seriously about this, and they didn't necessarily say that we needed to stop with the ghost stuff. But they sort of gave me a little routine that I, they feel I should be doing. They think I need to be talking to the ghost before I go any farther with this and make it clear that my intentions aren't... Are pure? Yeah, that I'm just curious and interested and I mean no harm and I'm not trying to show them up or anything like that. Can, can I
1: give you one real quick? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so like Sunday it. night... Um, oh, you had a ghost story. I, I thought you were going to call me an idiot. No, no. Okay. Sunday night, this, was, this, this 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 was this was weird. Sunday night, I had to come in here to do the podcast with with you and Chad Brendel and do a TV segment. You did. Um, they my my wife and oldest daughter took my youngest back to Lexington to college, so before I left, I fed my dogs, let them out back, and then decided, oh, you know what, I'll go ahead and take the garbage. I was thinking about taking it up when I got back home, but I'm like, I got a couple minutes while they go to the bathroom. All all, and it, it's dark at this point. It's like probably 645 ish, something like that. And so as I wheeled. The the first round of garbage up, I went, oh, God, I forgot to turn the back light on. And I knew I had forgot. I knew I hadn't turned it on. I knew it because I remember it being dark in the entire area. I come back. The light is on. And I I freaked out from it. I stopped and went, maybe I hit Man, no, I didn't. I know I didn't turn on because I remember when the dogs came out in the dark. I know that.
0: You don't happened. have a motion light, do you?
1: I do not. It it does take a little bit of time to come on, but I know I didn't turn it none on. None of your I family know, members came out and did it. Nobody was home. Nobody's I was the only home. one home. I was the only one home.
0: How many How many had you drank to this point? None because I had to come
1: do podcasts and, and That's TV. That's true. All right, man. It,
0: it, it couldn't be old age that it, you're just forgetting. It
1: could be, It. It. but... I didn't turn that light on, Chief. I'm just telling you right now, I did not turn that light on. <laughs> I'm just I'm God is my up witness, put. I did not turn that light on.
0: Well, so I So anyway, back to you. yeah No, fine. I've been told that I need to like make it clear my intentions. I haven't done that yet. So this week, no ghost stories, but we have more coming. I do have an off-the-beaten-path topic okay, for you. Right. Um, it's somewhat sports-related, and to me, it is a good one. So, Skinny, police arrested a man Tuesday after he allegedly ate someone's pet inside an LSU dorm more than two years ago. Oh, no. So, according to the arrest warrant obtained by LSU police in 2016, the victim allowed her ex-boyfriend and two of his friends to stay at her dorm in Blake Hall on the weekend of the LSU Ole Miss football game.
1: Which is usually Halloween weekend, by the way. used to
0: be. When the victim returned to her room, well, this isn't about ghosts, so I don't I think that's going to be relevant. Gotcha. But when the victim returned to her room after the game on October 22nd, she allowed one of the men inside to retrieve his belongings. The guy's name was Maxwell Taffin, so you just know he's an absolute turd. Douche. Yeah. As Taffin exited the room, he remarked to the victim that she should, quote, check her fish tank before hurrying out the door when the woman checked the tank she noticed her pet fish was missing she later showed police a photo she received from taffin's phone following the encounter which showed feces in a toilet accompanied by the text found your fish wow so lsu later spoke with the man who was 18 at the time arrest records say he admitted to swallowing the victim's pet he said yeah i'll be honest with you i ate the victim's fish When asked about the image of feces sent to the victim, he reportedly told police a lot of people use his phone because it isn't password protected. He uh, was supposed to appear for a criminal summons, but failed to do so. Police finally just now caught up with him. He's now 21 years old, and he was booked on charges of cruelty to animals and improper telephone communications over two years after the incident happened. Skinny, break this one down
1: for me. I right. Well, the, the the thing that stood out to me the most is why would you allow your ex-boyfriend to bring two of his boys and stay in your you're you're inviting trouble on many fronts there yeah clearly she wanted to hook back up I with think this guy. the I honest to goodness I think the least of your worries was him eating a fish at that point totally I, I mean some bad stuff could have gone down
0: yeah I, I mean I hope you like Threw away your sheets and everything else because God knows what they did it, while exactly. in your exactly. dorm without you.
1: Uh, so, so, that's point one. To what our, type so, of fish was this?
0: Like a goldfish? That's true yeah, because if, like
1: if it's a goldfish. You can live with. That's what I'm saying. Who cares? But it, what are you calling the cops? I mean, you don't have a pet bass, right? You don't have a pet catfish. Trying to think, not, what, what fish would you want? Well, I mean, eat? some people have some night. Well, no one wants to eat the
0: fish. He was doing it to be like. Uh, That's the thing. This is the worst prank ever. The guy's trying to prank her, but he's the one who has to eat a live, dirty, nasty little slimy fish. Correct. And then him sending her a picture of his dump later that night saying, found your fish, is just an all-time villain move. Well, the, I mean, the, the guy's just a straight villain. Yes, He's doing correct. this for no reason at all. Correct. There's no upside here. Correct. There's no, like, this is not an inside joke. This is not like, I need vengeance. I'm getting back at this girl. This is just like, you know what? I'm going to eat your fish, and then I'm going to taunt you about it. Yeah, but again. Psycho move.
1: Well, psycho move for her, though, to also allow him to stay their ex-boyfriend. That that Who's, no. who's
0: crazier? Fish-eating guy who her. dumps and takes the picture, or her for letting the ex-boyfriend and two friends and two stay dudes there in. for a football game?
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 Shame on her. Well, here's the Poor thing. Poor fish, though. Poor I would guy.
0: I would say, like, oh, maybe this was just, like, a good friend group, and, think you know, the, the two broke up, but everyone's still kind of friends. But here's the thing. You don't call the cops on the guy for eating your fish if you were, like, good friends. Yes, correct. So these are clearly and just he, some
1: and, and he obviously idiots. has some kind of harbored resentment towards her by what he did. Maybe. <laughs> I don't
0: I don't like. This is such a psychopathic
1: move. The, the text of his dump. I mean, he's like, "Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I ate the fish." <laughs> <laughs> wow, you found a good one there, man. Also,
0: I, I also like the fact that when you that said
1: pettiness, I'm like, "Man, don't tell me he ate a dog or a cat."
0: I also like that the guy was willing to admit to everything. Yes, other I ate the, the dump, Other than the dump, yes, I ate the fish, and and yes, I did all of this, but. That dump might not have been mine
1: on the phone. No, that was because the, that, someone, the, that, a lot of
0: people use my phone. I don't password
1: protect. That's it. the cap off to the prank, dude. I mean, that's the that, that that's the that's the payoff. That's I, the payoff move. No, that's where you
0: thought you were doing something funny, and then all of a sudden it, it got became real. a legal yeah, matter, yeah. and you were like, "Uh, yeah, I, uh, didn't, I didn't do that." Well, every, everyone has access to my phone. I don't. I don't even have a password on it. Yeah, idiot. Good try,
1: my man. I love it. Good stuff. All right, we will be right back next week with some more maybe ghost stories. Found your fish. We'll see. Hopefully, hey, everybody, check your fish tank if you've got one at home. And don't let your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend around it at any point in time. Psycho. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.